Hi, I'm Brett Johnson, former United States Most Wanted cyber criminal, now good guy, and host of The Brett Johnson Show. Today's episode, episode number 97, Greg Vandergast, A Better Way to InfoSec, when we come back. All right, so we are back to today's episode of The Brett Johnson Show, number 97, Greg Vandergast. Have you heard of him? I hope you have. If you've not, you damn well should have. Greg is Greg is always one of the top listed ethical hackers on the planet. He's an author of several books. The man is absolutely outstanding. He knows exactly what the hell he's talking about, and that's not just because he's tuned into the type of bullshit that I talk about. Greg is fantastic. He was kind enough to join the show. I'm going to uh, to bring up his bio, his webpage, talk about him for a couple of minutes, give him a couple of plugs because the man is outstanding. He truly is. So let's go ahead and share screen here. There we go. All right, so this is gregvandergast.com, selling cyber better. The state of cyber is dire. Spend and breaches are out of control, and throwing people and tools at the problem isn't changing the trend. Now, if you've listened to me talk whatsoever, you know good and damn well that I have been bitching about this kind of stuff for years. I'm not the only one. Greg has been complaining about it as well, and he has actually written a few books that talks about a better way to rethink InfoSec, to implement InfoSec, and to do the job properly while allowing the company to make money and be secure. Um, Greg right now is listed as the chief technologist over at CDW. So he absolutely knows what he's talking about. And uh, here's the thing as well. You may not have known this, but Greg also has a bit a bit of a storied past. So without further ado, please welcome Greg Vandergast to the Brett Johnson show. About why why are we here today, Brett? Why are we here? See, that's a good question. Why are we here? I'll tell you why I'm here. I am um I am increasingly becoming, I guess, more than apathetic toward most of the cybersecurity industry. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I see a... Um... Leave it there a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Let's start with that. My thoughts are that uh, everything is... Not everything. I hate to use absolutes. But uh, there are so many security companies out there that really don't give a damn about stopping the problems, they really care about profiting from the problems. Yes. And none of the, here's, see, I, I'm wanting to do the absolute thinking again, and that's wrong. I but, work for the world's largest v reseller, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you. You know, it, it's, it's just, there's so much, there's so much lies that go on. Um, it, it, it's very few people in this industry tell the truth about the problems that are out there. Instead, they they go with fear, uncertainty, doubt in order to serve sell those products, services, and tools. Fortunately, and, those tools will fix 98.8% of all your problems. Well, there you go. Yeah. Unless you're MGM and you know someone looks you up on LinkedIn and spoofs a phone call. <laughs> so 
there's that. But, um, you know, I, I, I know you come from some of the similar backgrounds that I have. And no, it's uh, not too similar yet. Yeah. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Am I am I just this lone guy that, you know, uh, I speak to. It's funny because the, the people that have this realization are. I want to say certainly a minority. I feel like the number is growing, but that just could be because I'm finding more of them and I'm spending most of my time talking to them. Right. But it's still definitely a very small minority. Yeah. Uh, one, one interesting one, I spoke to recently, Drew, Drew Simonis, who used to be the CIS or VP, global VP security for HP Enterprise, massive okay. organization, 300,000 yeah. people. He's totally on this. Like we are just fighting symptoms of problems that we refuse to fix. Um. So, but a very, very small number. And, you know, I, I got like, I got the same kind of start as you. You know, I was 16 years old and my sister brought home a, a VHS copy of the movie Hackers. And, you know, as a 16 year old kid, this is a fascinating film. And my main uh, of course it is, especially Angelina Jolie. Exactly, exactly. It, it taught me if I break into computers, I get to have Angelina Jolie as my girlfriend. And needless to say, I was highly motivated. And a year later, I broke into some nuclear weapons facility and the feds were at the door. And then spent a few years doing that. And then, you know what? I spent 10 years being, after that being a techie. And, you know, a lot of right. IT certifications, implementing all the latest, greatest tech and getting paid boatloads of money for it. Right, right. It wasn't until like you know, 10 years later where I actually got myself like, oh, you're a security manager now. And I'm like, this is really poorly managed. And then you're ahead of and see so. And it's like, this isn't actually effective in protecting this organization. We're just right. doing a bunch of tech stuff. Uh, and I occasionally do some audits. Uh, I haven't done them in a while, to be honest, but I used to do audits for a law firm who represented cyber insurance companies. And my job would be to go in post-breach and show that the organization's security was negligent and therefore they don't have to pay. It's never taken me until lunchtime. I was about to say it couldn't be that difficult. No, it's, <laughs> it's like, well, you've got six different asset registers all with different stuff. They don't match up. And that's a problem, but it's a bigger problem that you've not bothered to even figure out why, right? you know, and your tooling's not set up properly and you don't know what finance applications you use and you, you don't know what business processes people are using and like you've not, and you've been, you know, prioritizing vulnerabilities in Nessus or whatever for the last five years, but you've never asked once, where are they coming from? Right. <laughs> why, right. why does the business keep producing these things? Maybe I should address that. And I think that's the biggest problem we have. Um, is we don't look at root causes. I had this, I've written a couple of books. One's called Rethinking uh, InfoSec. And the, one, the other one I just released is called the, What We Call Security. Okay. Which I thought was a nice. Well, let's, uh, let, and, and I like that last title. I, I like the first title a lot too. Yeah, but Security is mostly bullshit. It's not. Well, security. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm getting that. <laughs> so uh, let, let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, okay. How old were you when you got in trouble? Uh, I was 17 when I got in okay. trouble. And it was just you, before uh, that late 90s before, like you were still a, a useful hacker with skills, not a terrorist. That changed right. about a year right. later. So I, I was just before that line, yeah. Yeah, I remember when that when that that shift came, yeah. you know, I remember that. What, uh, what prompted the target of uh, nuclear facilities? Uh, because a friend of mine gave me an IP address and I just hacked it. And then afterwards, I put the IP address into Netscape browser 
And the name that popped up was because they had literally set off five atomic bombs on the ground like three weeks before. <laughs> and it was all over the United Nations news, National Security Council, all this stuff. I was like, oh, that's those guys. And then I immediately went back and downloaded all the email from all the research from these nuclear tests that were done just like a month before so next thing i know i got the cia dia nsa <laughs> and wired magazine asking wired magazine why not <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean if you're going to do it do it right do it right would you like some nuclear weapons research exactly exactly um and you you mentioned it it was before and i the reason i asked that i just wanted to uh, to confirm there was no ideology behind that um no. What type of trouble did you get into? Did you did you serve time or not? I would imagine uh, seventeen. No, honestly, um, I was I was. Well, I had four men in suits come to my house, and I was actually in a different country. I was not in the U.S. when this happened. I was okay. in the U.S. when they showed up, uh, and it was a foreign weapons facility. Right. That. So they came to my house, four of them, and I was like. I know why you were here, because also some of the media had reported that I used some DOD system, which wasn't true. Okay. Uh, maybe somebody else had, and they got the story confused, but it wasn't me. So I got these four suits from the Defense Department. Well, the first one identified himself as the Defense Department. I knew why they were there, but I'm like, I, I don't, you know. And I told them, like, some coffee? Like, I know why you're here. I don't think I violated any U.S. laws. Like, I was, I was worried you guys were from immigration because I was way <laughs> over my tourist visa. And that's when suit number four in the back of the room went, I'm from immigration. That, that would be me. <laughs> me. <laughs> so that's that's actually how they got me on an immigration charge. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, they took me to, I still to this day don't know where it was. They just took me to some facility for a week. And then uh, some other agents showed up and they made me a job offer I couldn't refuse. We're really adamant about that last part. Well, that that is the part that matters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Yeah. We're going to give you a job. <laughs> And there is no yes, no. It's it's. You're thank you so much. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you you obviously extremely talented, obviously ext you know very inquisitive, and um, I'll do inquisitive. I, I don't. I, I don't. The funny thing is, I remember like back in those early days. I mean, there were guys who like could recite, like they knew the credit card algorithms off the top of their head. Right. Like you, right. A number they could recite the next number in that series, which would have the same expiration date. You know, when right. you see these back then, so. Uh, you had guys coding assembly like crazy. And I, I always felt like really, I'm not, I'm nowhere near as good as these guys. But over the years, the assembly like, always blew my mind. It really they, did. They are still micro focused on those things where I'm looking at like the really big picture, which right. is why I'm much better at, you know, I'm a hundred times better at defending an organization than I am at attacking one. Right. Uh, because of that. And I think that's weirdly enough, I think it's, it's a skill that, that we're missing. No, I would agree. I had um, I gave a, a presentation uh, a couple of nights ago. I, I remoted into the to UNBC, um, University of North British Columbia, and um, one of one of the individuals that were, was in the audience. They asked me, you know, what what do you look for if you were to you know mentor someone? What do you look for? And a lot of my answer went around what you're just talking about that that seeing the big picture. You know, I don't really, I do care if you're skilled. I do. Uh, but, you know, you can learn those technical skills. It's, it's that ability to see that big picture, to keep that open mind that I think really is, like you said, it's missing. It yeah. truly is missing in this in this entire industry. Can I give you this analogy for the Please. security industry? As I said, in relation to this, um, I'm a massive petrol head, so everything's a car analogy. So it's, it's, for me, like the security industry is like, and I do this when I do topic, 
imagine you're standing on the street in front of you is a car factory. So you've got the building with the assembly line and then you get the big parking lot. I can say parking lot because we're North American here, uh, where they put all the, the finished cars, except they roll them off the third floor. So they're dropping in and getting all smashed up. <laughs> so, and then, oh crap, what do we do about it? Well, we put it in, in one corner of the lot. We cover it up, do a little workshop and we assess, well, what's, what's wrong with it? What's damaged? What part do we need to change? What's the order to disassemble it to get that? What tools do we need to do that? How do we prioritize the different things that are wrong with it? Let's set up a framework to manage, you know, what the minimum quality of repair should be. Let's get some auditors to, to hold us to account to that. Let's get some consultants in to show us better ways of working. Right. Some vendors to show us, you know, give us better tools, work more efficiently. Hire a few thousand more people and repeat this because every 30 seconds is another car coming from the floor. And next thing you know, you've got this really big ecosystem of thousands of people working, highly paid technicians, you know, doing all this really complex work. And then... I'll hire the people that no one wants to hire because, oh, you're not technical enough to be in cybersecurity. And they will stand at the edge of that parking lot and just look and, and be intimidated by all this work that they see. Oh, I could never do this. But eventually they look around and then they ask me that really stupid question of, why are we lobbing the cars from the third floor? Right. What if I told you it's because these people can't hold a conversation? Could you go in there and ask them to please let the cars out the ground floor, please? And I've just made, you know, cybersecurity skills guys. Like I've just made a hundred techies unemployed, basically. Right. There's one person who was able to hold the conversation and make an argument and got the business to change the way it does something. Well, you what? you you made that comment on uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> And I guess I, I did not I did not see the initial thread. I, I looked for it I, for some reason I couldn't find it. But evidently, you said that the the large <laughs> one of the largest problems with cybersecurity is the security teams. I was quoting. I mentioned Drew Simonis earlier. I think we were. I don't think I don't remember if we were. We were not recording yet. But that was quoting him. Okay. Yeah. So like the biggest challenge to security is the security team. And I, I, I have to, I know evidently you got some flack on that, but I have to agree with that. It's, it's generalized. <laughs> yes. And you know, there are, there are some, ge some genuinely good people out there. Right. But sometimes I'm like, you know, I, I had a call with Drew a couple of weeks ago because I'm like, we always get along on LinkedIn. It's like, dude, let's, let's have a call. And I'm like, I've been doing this for 25 years. Like, am I just really unlucky that I keep walking into organizations where the security is a shit show? And he's like, no. No, no. <laughs> it's everywhere it, it it has a lot to do with that analogy that you just yeah unfortunately yeah and some people are technically brilliant and actually yeah. can come up with can actually come up with some technical solutions that actually compensate for a lot of that stuff but the overall yeah just because i see like security fundamentally it's about vulnerabilities right right there has to be something to exploit. It's a vulnerability. Right. Vulnerability is a defect, whether it be in code and configuration and system build and architecture or process, even human behavior. Well, that's, uh, and, 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 you know, when I, when I, when I talk, I refer to it, uh, I talk about this disconnect of how, um, you know, law enforcement, education, universities, um, fraud analysts, um, a lot of the security professionals, they, they, they have an idea of the way that, and I don't like to say the word threat actors. I call, I say criminals. They, they have an idea of the way criminals act. And usually that idea has nothing to do 
with the way that criminals act. And, you know, I'm, I'm insistent about trying to, uh, to educate overall about that, to, of trying to bridge that disconnect. But I, I've got to tell you, Greg, it's, uh, it really is almost like banging your head up against a wall every it gets, single day. It, it gets frustrating. And what I feel very fortunate to be in the position that I am in today because I basically, by looking at root causes and business problems and making sure we weren't vulnerable in the first place rather than trying to block everyone, um, I no longer matched any job description in security. Nice. But I was trying to actually secure the organization. So that became a, a real problem. And actually, weirdly enough, started at CDW, largest VAR in the world, right. uh, as chief technologist, which I don't consider myself a technologist, more a strategist. Um, and they, you know, one of the first questions was like, well, what, what trends do you see in security that we can capitalize on? I was like, I only care about two trends, which is actually the same trend. This is the spending in security, and this is the number of breaches in security. <laughs> Every other industry, <laughs> we, we, I mentioned before, I didn't get to finish, but like, it comes from defects in certain places. Every other industry applies some principle of whatever you want to call it, quality management, and you get this downward trend over right. time. Plane crashes, automotive manufacturing, oil and gas, uh, medical errors, whatever. Not in security. Everything's just up and up. And I, said, like, and I want to stop that. I want to get people to stop that. I want to shrink the amount of security spending there is. And not just on tools, but headcount as well. Um, and I was like, look, nobody else is going to have this message. Right. And we might shrink the market by 10%, but you're going to have a much bigger chunk of it. So we're like, do it because it's, it's such an easy story to tell. Funny thing is a lot of CISOs get a little bit, either they don't get it or they're actually threatened by it. But I see a lot of threatening. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I see a lot of that. I don't think people realize how threatened a lot of security leaders get. Yeah. It's quite unfortunate. Um, and and, I, and I've got, you know, to be honest, I've got I've got a large following and, and there are there are several individuals there who they get it. They absolutely get it. But by and large, most people do not yeah because there's, there's a funny thing about security like there's not much accountability is there no if i build you an application and it's a crock of crap and you, you notice like oh it's not poorly integrated it's, it doesn't feel nice to use it's crashing it's slow it's like this is terrible give me something else if your entire security infrastructure goes down for six months like your entire sock or what six hours six days whatever, you wouldn't even notice so you have no idea whether the work is being done, if there's a, a high level of care, attention, if the stuff is integrated properly. And then when the breach happens, and what do we do? Oh, we'll give you some more money, <laughs> you know, for a job badly done. You know, don't get me wrong, you can get caught out. But what, what really does, and I, I think this is how we should judge CISOs, it's the direction. Because right. if you come into an organization and inherit an absolute mess, and it's going to take you a long time to get the traction. It's going to take you a long time to get the resources. It's going to take you a long time to deliver and go through things. Five years, let's say. But if you've been there for six months, a year, two years, and you've not even set out a plan to even do that, then what are you doing? Well, you know, I've got to acclimate myself to the environment. <laughs> a month or two, <laughs> you know? But already it's like I'm acclimating myself so that I can write the strategy out when, and we're going to go through. Right. Uh, and that's another big thing. I, think, I don't think security, like 
how I actually added up on the board a couple of days ago. I was trying to illustrate, like, instead of being a tech silo, be a horizontal that influences all the business processes and IT processes across uh, departments. And, I th- and you're seeing more and more uh, big breaches happen because we don't do this. So like MGM, it's basically a service desk procedure. Right. You know, someone should have looked, but that's not IT security. So how many security departments look into the service desk procedures? How many know what kind of information gets exchanged, what the process is? Very, very few. Right. We had one here, police services, uh, North Ireland, they had a freedom of information request and they left a lot of raw data in the spreadsheet they published. Well, that's an area where if you go through the business, you realize, ooh, that, that's a really high potential of data leakage there. We should put some controls about how we release these things, get them vetted beforehand, that kind of stuff. But they didn't. Um, Uber, a year or two ago, one state, they had a law firm. Their legal department faxed all the driver records to an outside law firm. <laughs> and that outside law firm got compromised. Well, it's legal and it's facts. So it's definitely not information security. It's like, well, right. technically it's a breach. And had it happened in Europe, you would be get a massive uh, GDPR fine. And this, I think the really sad thing is that when I bet you money that the security teams in those places, and I'm sorry, guys, if, if this wasn't the case, but I, I bet you there was a sense of relief. They heard, oh, crap, we've been breached. Oh, no, it's someone in HR that leaked it. Oh, no, it's legal that leaked it. Oh, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's, I mean, who is not on us? Like, it should have been on you. Like, right. You should have been going. You're there to protect the business, not just IT, not just, you know, that, that lack of engagement is really, really missing. And so, so let me ask you, and, and that, that brings something on that, that I have been, I've been complaining and bitching about for a while now, this, this lack of accountability this passing the buck, not accepting responsibility, that it's always someone else's fault and you pass it down to whoever you can. And that sounds like what you're talking about now. You know, it's, and I, I agree with you, that sense of relief. Hey, wasn't us. It was them. And, yeah. but, but you're missing the entire point. Yeah. Yeah. It starts with you. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you fix that? Like don't know. And to be honest, like, I used to be that guy. That's the funny thing, you know, and, and cause I used to talk like when I was 25, 26 years old, I was like boatloads of money, a cool job, all the resources, the flash car. I had so many certifications that it wouldn't fit in an outlook email signature. And my boss told me just put Ninja. And I, you know, you, you tell those stories and people are like, Oh yeah, I want to be that guy. And it's like, no, don't be that right. guy. Do not hire that guy. Run away from that guy. Right. We're not looking at, we're looking at, I get security strategies sent to me from customers. Like, hey, could you deliver this for us? So this is our security strategy. I'm like, this is not a security strategy. This is like some techie's wet dream for Christmas. Uh, there's absolutely no mention of what does your business do? what's involved, what business processes do you have, data flows, what's sensitive, what are some of your challenges, what problems do you have, how did you come to have those problems, how are we going to move away from those problems, Is no, I want a SOC, I want EDR, I want this, I want threat intelligence, are you going to maybe go out and talk to someone in the business, find out what they're doing, oh, of course not, <laughs> and we're missing, you know, we're spending a lot on technology, but in, a lot of these hacks are just like, phone call and bypass yeah. everything. Yeah. So you really need to rethink about, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the organization, what matters to them. 
And I think part of what I was, um, and, we, and we do like to blow stuff out of proportion as well, you know, because I think one thing I mentioned in my last book is like, you know, there's, there's a lot of breaches happening, but the amount of companies that actually go belly up because of the breach that have like really significant, you know, losses to the point where they have to close their doors or their stock price drops 50% or something is tiny. Right. Just MGM. Oh, their, their quarterly numbers will be back up to normal. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to miss much. And, and let me ask you about that. So, and you're right. You're absolutely right. We, we absolutely blow it out of proportion. We talk about breaches and, dollar amounts and the damage done and but the truth of the matter is most companies they recuperate pretty quickly and very healthily they really do yeah. do you part think of that is that we sorry to interrupt no no we underestimate so for example a system goes down and that's an hr process or that's a finance process we underestimate the people actually doing that job with that business process they know how that process works they'll switch to pen and paper they know how to do it it's just because the IT thing went down doesn't mean the world stops. And I think we, we tend to underestimate the other people in the organization because we're really special. <laughs> that reminds me, I, I would, um, a few years ago, I was at a, uh, I keynoted an infrastructure conference and uh, had some water companies there. And they were, they, you know, they were talking about infrastructure attacks. And I, I started talking to one of these, the CISO of one of the city's water companies. And uh, I was like, so what happens? If an attack comes in and hits the water system, he said, you really want to know what happens? I was like, yeah. He said, well, really what we do is we shut everything down. We walk over and there's this handle that we turn <laughs> that turns the water right back on. And I'm like, serious? And he was like, yeah, man. And he's like, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And that, you know, that leads into what you're saying there. I mean, the rest of the organization, they know how to make things work. Yeah, the whole colonial pipeline thing, like it wasn't the flow of fuel that was stopped. It was their ability to bill for it. Right. Colonial stopped the flow of fuel. Right. Because they didn't want to give away. And no it. one really realizes that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the media, they they talk about, hey, ransomware shut down the pipeline. No, no, it didn't. They shut down the pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> ransomware shut down the billing system that exactly. the security team didn't look into. <laughs> um, so... Yeah. How do you do? And, and, and this is one of the things uh, um, you you've got. You know the the actual damage, as you mentioned. I mean, most companies recuperate. Do you think that's part of the of of the problem where we're not seeing? I mean, we're we're seeing the FUD. You know, these security companies with fear, uncertainty, and doubt in order to sell product. But you're also seeing an industry that they throw a lot of money at things. And sometimes, I mean, not even sometimes, most of the time that money doesn't go toward what it needs to go toward in order to mitigate the problems. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, all, that's all I got. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's pretty yeah. much it. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like, and, and here's the thing, like, and, and this is why, like, I really like where my th thinking is at now, because I, I think there's so much more value. Like, it sounds like we're slagging off security, but I'm not. I'm slagging off how security is practiced now. I, I've come to a point where you realize that everything is caused by these defects in things. Right. That means to me, like security shouldn't be a risk function. It should be a quality management function. And the beauty is if I have, if I'm seeing that my internal applications or something are full of security vulnerabilities, or like why, like, oh, that's a terrible way of architecting the application. It means it's vulnerable to this, that, that. Well, if I go fix that problem, 
I won't just have fixed the security problem. I'll have a better application. Right. I've had, I've had cases where, like, why is this happening? And you go and you look in development, it's like, okay, they need better leadership, you know, because for whatever historical or cultural reason, we've got a bunch of developers who don't really know how to structure stuff. They're just kind of like making do with the little limited knowledge they have. And you've got applications that are not just full of security vulnerabilities, but they're unstable, they're slow, they're really difficult to maintain, to, to modify, to add features to. Um, and once you fix that, well, you have a better application. You have a lower cost to maintain that application. You have a happier customer. And in one case, because they restructured the architecture you know, to have a functional front end and back end where the back end didn't scale with the front end because it didn't mm -hmm. need to. We saved 150 grand, and we're talking pounds or euros, a month in AWS fees just from the reduced compute. That paid for my security program twice over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's, you know, we, another thing I like, um, for me, like a security program, what it should do, in addition to like capturing, you know, executive support and defining a strategy and how you're going to maintain the, the program itself, it should systematically go through every part of the business, every business process, every IT process. And that includes, you know, SaaS applications, for example. A lot of them don't, a lot of security functions don't, they definitely don't go through business process, but they don't right. even necessarily look at their SaaS applications or they look at it just from the IT standpoint of, um, oh, privilege access or access to it. They don't look at how it's configured internally. You know, like you might have Salesforce and everyone has a low level of privilege, but that low level of privilege gives everyone access to every contract. Right. So, it doesn't register to the IT person because, oh, everyone has regular low level. Yeah, but you've not configured it to where they can't see each other's stuff and that kind of stuff. And I had one case where it was like half the people in Salesforce had admin because they didn't know how to set up the, the reporting. So they just gave everyone admin. <laughs> um, and I got, you know, I, I got a company in to restructure the workflow. So they would work for everyone, sales and operations who use it. They actually like the new workflow better. Like this makes our job easier. Sure. It cost us, it cost my department 20 grand to do this work. And we saved 48 grand a year in licensing because of it. And there's so, there's so many ways that if you shift security to a quality function. Right. You save money everywhere. You're really helping the business. Well, that seems to, um, in every presentation I've given the past um, probably 18 months, I throw out this statistic of 90% of all attacks use known exploits. And that seems to, to be what you're talking about, this, this quality control. If you simply take care of the vulnerabilities, not only in software, but looking at the way the operation of the company, the structure of the company, things like that, you're going to mitigate most of the attacks that are out there. You shouldn't have these things. Like if, right. I, I feel like the, the beauty of like a lot of security tooling, most security tooling is not used this way, but it, those vulnerabilities that you see in a vulnerability scanning management platform, they're symptoms of a bigger problem. And I, when I see like people, oh, we have this uh, new vulnerability management platform, it scans our environment. Look, it shows me that this year I have 3000 new vulnerabilities and this many are low, medium, high, critical, these are known to be exploitable. These are internet facing. These are being exploited right now. I know this from threat intelligence and I can prioritize because I don't have enough resource, but I can prioritize the most critical ones. Great. Uh, give that to the ops people. I don't really give a shit, but I see that a third of your vulnerabilities new from this year have missing patches that are like three years old. Right. 
Uh, a third of them are like internal applications that have security vulnerabilities, which tells me we have some dodgy engineering practices. Uh, your host names are all over the place. So something's wrong with your asset management or you got a lot of shadow IT with people not knowing the naming conventions and their systems stick out like a sore thumb. So I'm going to go out and fix those three business problems. And then next year, we're going to have 1,000, not 3,000 vulnerabilities. People aren't doing that. You know, so, and it, it doesn't even matter if something is a, a low, for example, a low criticality vulnerability. The root cause of that vulnerability could cause something really serious next year. So the actual, right. in terms of what you need to mitigate now, yeah. But in terms of its importance, a low vulnerability can be a symptom of something very, very serious further upstream. So just, just categorize, you know, group, oh, there's, there's commonalities between these things. Let me go address the business issue, whatever. And a lot of security people, oh, but I don't report there. I can't talk to them. And whenever right. I, I do a talk, it's like, you, what's your name? Uh, yeah, you. Uh, Steve? Steve, I like your watch, Steve. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'd like to tell you something after this. Okay, there you go. That's how you engage. Right. The number of meetings I've gotten with CEOs, just like listening to a talk, paying them a compliment about him, offering him a cup of coffee, boom, you're it. It's that easy. Right. So so how do you fix that? Do you, do you have, do you come up with yet another team that handles all of that? Or, or what that, do you that do? That business engagement stuff? Mm -hmm. I think like my last team as a CISO, I'd say was two thirds non-technical or, or lightly technical. See, or, I like that. Or people, don't get me wrong, they had technical skills, but they were not, they didn't start out as techies. Right. We had like a former policeman, former teacher, uh, business owner, uh, military technician, one like IT architect, not a security architect, an IT architect. Like he knew what good IT looked like. Right. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's all we needed really. Because we'd go after the, the root causes. And like year two, the security budget was down 40%. because so we didn't need it anymore. <laughs> so like uh, I, I would call up the CEO and be like, I'm giving you back 200K this year. I mean, and, and make no mistake, Brother Vandergast, you are, you are preaching to the choir. You are. I mean, we've um, not talked before, Brett. <laughs> we, I, it's odd that we've not because, sure, by God, we're on the same page on this stuff. How do you how do you convince a majority of the industry that hey, the stuff you're doing ain't working? And that's my that's my challenge. That's my current challenge. And that's that's why I joined CDW because it's like it's a massive platform for me to have this message on. Right. And I talk, you know, and I I used to I, I do this talk right where I show. Um, can you can you see this whiteboard? I can absolutely. Let me grab it. All right. Oh, I'll put my glasses on so I can see it. I am. I am going to piss off all the Democrats here. Oh, by all means, piss someone off. We get more engagement that way. I used to. I used to talk. You know, I used to just here in the UK. So I'd give this presentation <laughs> on the screen. I got I you. Something like that, and I go like, and there's a line like that, and a line like that, and then here's this other line, and you got like a line like that, and a line like that. And I used to tell them, this first graph here is the. Um, the, the gun ownership rate per capita in the United States and the murder rate per capita in the United States. Ah. And the, the audience here in the UK would be like, oh, yeah, duh, stupid Americans. Oh. <laughs> and then I'd be like, and this is the investment in cybersecurity and the corresponding decrease in security incidents. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. That's how we do our jobs. <laughs> yeah, 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 pat on the back. 
And then I tell them I switched the graphs. And then they get angry. No, then they're kind of like, oh, shit. And to be fair, they usually have a laugh. But, and, and if you if you Google, you'll find this graph. There's like by the ATF, FBI. Gotcha. Over, like, over the time period, the gun ownership per capita rate doubled. The murder rate dropped in half. Right. right. So you got you to gotta look at like, well, what causes what? But the fact is, every year we spend more money on security. And every year we have more breaches. And to me, it's it's because of the approach. I agree. I've been I I've agree. been using this analogy like um, what a nice rainbow outside. Um, if if I'm an aircraft like a, a plane company, I manufacture aircraft, and I find that uh, all of a sudden a technician finds that the the bolts that hold the wings on they slacken during flight. That's a problem. That's right. that's going to result in a catast- like catastrophic incident. It's going to be really bad for business. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a workshop in every single airport in the world and hire teams of engineers and project managers to tighten every bolt on every wing after every flight. And I got halfway through saying that the first time I explained it and someone said, no, you wouldn't. That's stupid. Exactly. So why do we do it in security? You wouldn't do that. You'd be like, holy shit, guys, we have a problem all huddled together. Yeah, there's a design flaw. Change the design. Start manufacturing the planes like that, and either retrofit or retire what's already out there. Right. You wouldn't keep building the planes with the with the mistake or defect, and just expect people to mitigate it all the time. You're right. You're absolutely right. The other analogy I like is the uh, if you leave a big bag of grain in your back garden. Back garden sounds wrong. Garden. Um, and you wake up one day and you got ten thousand mice. Well, do you have a mouse problem or do you have a grain problem? <laughs> you, could argue, you could argue either or, but how are you going to fix that problem? Well, are you going to, hire, are you going to buy 10,000 mice traps or are you going to right. store the grain in a different way, first of all? And that will probably take care of most of the problem. In fact, I mean, I like that analogy because we're at, all go away. I mean, we, we buy the 10,000 mouse traps. Yeah. Yeah. We Which we'll do. never get all, rid of all of them. They'll keep multiplying faster than you can trap them, kill them, whatever. And you're, we're feeding. I hear so many vendors talk about, oh, the threat environment's growing. It's because we're not fixing the problem. I agree. We're providing them with the food. I agree. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. We have more, I- more vulnerabilities. And then we're like fending off the mice. It's like, we're feeding them. Stop feeding them. Don't go away. <laughs> Greg, um, I am glad that I pressed record when you suggested <laughs> There you go. We didn't even know we were doing this, by the way. We didn't. But look, I um, I know you've got a, I know you've got an uh, an appointment coming up. I'm going to get this out. Um, you come back in and talk to me again. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. This has been. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. You are a um, truly man. You're you're a breath of fresh air. And uh, with the apathy that I've been feeling, I'm like, it is so nice. <laughs> it is so nice Bro. to talk to somebody like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I, back to CDW, like that's why I joined CDW because I want to get this message out there. And it's a tricky message because right. funny enough, like we mentioned, like I talk to CISOs and it's, well, I can't do that change or mm, I'm, I don't get it or they're threatened by it. I think when you talk to like CTOs, even CFOs or, or CEOs, they get it. Quality right. management makes sense to them. Uh, God, we, we do like to say that people don't understand cy- cyber, like, oh, management doesn't understand cyber. It's like, actually, you might be the one that doesn't understand. Right. Yeah. 
They understand everyone else. It's just you. <laughs> it's just you. It's, it's, it's the common yeah. denominator, you. Yeah. But, you know, and I want to... Um, and I see, I see my customers as the businesses we serve, not as the CISO or head of InfoSec. Right. Um, and I'm hoping there'll be more and more of those who you know, have that sense of altruism and leadership and represent their, their organizations. Well, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things where the person who first mentions it, that prophet who first comes out is, is the person who is denigrated, who is uh, called crazy and shunned and everything else. But just by talking about it, you get it out there. And then over time, it starts to make a difference. I absolutely yeah. believe that. Yeah, I, I believe truly that do. At the so, very least, find a few odd souls who actually believe in you. There you go. So what about these two books you've got? Where can we get them? Uh, they're on Amazon. One's called okay. the Rethinking InfoSec, which I think I was like three and a bit years ago. Okay. It's, it's mostly just a barrage of articles and ideas, but around, you know, the car analogies, the thinking, the compliance obsession, that, that kind of stuff. Um, the new one, I think, is more interesting. The new one's very high level. It talks okay. about all these problems that we have in insecurity you know that lack of accountability the the limited scope of thinking all these things um talks about how quality makes a lot more sense talks about commercializing security like you can not just lower costs but increase brand value create new commercial opportunities that kind of stuff things that can really help you have uh conversations with um senior leadership teams right. if you start talking about like commercial propositions like you hear people complain about and there's, and there's a whole bit about you know, the executive, how it works, what executives are like, because that's something I've really started to like, be exposed to a lot of the last few years. You know, executives are there to make money. They right. have equity positions in companies usually. They're, they're paid primarily in equity. And when you go and you ask like, oh, I want $5 million for my security program, and you can't back it up, you can't provide an ROI or anything like that, and you think, well, it's common sense, it's common sense, like, between like that executive probably already has his exit strategy when he started the company or joined the company, you are probably going to personally cost him more money than you're asking just by the impact, the impact to the EBITDA numbers that your security program is causing. So yeah, they're going to resist. So a lot of like that kind of commercial mindset, how to make commercial arguments, how to make commercial value out of security, really. Because again, it's a quality like function, that. it's a brand differentiator. I think we should just be talking about it very differently. I agree. And the name of the book? Uh, that one is What We Call Security. What We Call Security. Greg yeah. Vandergast on Amazon. Yeah. All right. So that was Greg Vandergast. Absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. I I love the man. I think he's, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, if you guys don't mind, check out his website. Check out his books. I'll have links to all of those in the show notes. My name is Brett Johnson. We're going to close things out. How do we do that? We do it the exact same way every single time. Stay safe out there. Stay secure. Stay vigilant. More importantly, understand this is the Brett Johnson Show. At the end of the day, just do the right damn thing. I'm Brett Johnson. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.